0: This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download our free audiobooks. The title of this book is Don't Talk to the Police The Ultimate American Weapon A Common Lawyer Comments, copyright 2010, written by Brent Allen Winters. Visit CommonLawyer.com for more information. Chapter 3 Champions of your right to keep silent. In the House of Commons, Peard argued for observance of the common law under the direction of scripture. Let no accusation stand, said Peard, except under the mouths of two or three witnesses. Indictment of the innocent for crimes, says the Supreme Court, is an unfortunate burden of being an American. For this reason, our courts have time and again held that the right to remain silent is for the benefit of the innocent as well as the guilty. The law never requires any man to slit his throat with his own tongue. American common lawyers later put it that the law never requires a man to provide the rope for his hanging. Following scripture's requirement of at least two witnesses to support every material fact of each accusation against a defendant bars conviction by confession alone, lessening the government's temptation to torment the accused, to get him to forfeit his right to remain silent. In short, Scripture requires that if the prosecutor's only witness is the accused, he needs yet another witness to convict. If all that is required for conviction is the accused person's single confession, government is tempted to violate the dignity of the accused, and therefore God's dignity, because God has made every person in His image by forcing or tricking him to speak against his will in order to get that confession. Those early Englishmen and women, choosing to stand upon their common law right to keep their peace and the integrity of their thoughts, have preserved for us the precious right to remain silent. These champions rooted their convictions not in subjective notions, but in objective revelation. The right to remain silent was a benefit men derived from their Creator. Being his creatures made in his image. As it is God's prerogative to reveal his mind and will only to whom, to what amount, and when he desires, so also, individual men and women, being God's creatures made in his image, enjoy a like prerogative, subject only to God's sovereignty. The history of the English Protestants' struggle to remain silent, more than the history of any other struggle, pulled into clear contrast the basic distinctions. Between the common law and Rome's civil law. Chapter three point one Nicholas Fuller Right to Keep Silent Versus Forced Oath. Peter Wentworth, in known contravention of Elizabeth's wishes, had demanded liberty of speech in the House of Commons in fifteen seventy six. The election of Sir Francis Goodwin to Parliament had furnished the pretext for a quarrel between the King and In the House of Commons, which had momentous constitutional results. And, two years later, John Bate, a London merchant, took to law the question of import tax on currents. Yet in none of these cases was there actual constitutional opposition to the crown. It remained for Fuller to attack the king's prerogative. When defeated on one ground, he resumed the struggle upon a second, and then upon a third. Common lawyer Nicholas Fuller, 1543 to 1620, Hebriist and theologian of Gray's Inn, though now forgotten, defended, case by case in open court, his client's rights of individual conscience to keep silent. Puritans facing forced examination of their consciences in the star chamber, like proceedings, of the High Commission by the forced oath ex officio retained Fuller for legal counsel. When the king tried to remove Puritan ministers from their offices, Fuller blocked proceedings against them in the civil law's ecclesiastic courts by removing these cases to the common law courts, which, unlike the ecclesiastic courts, recognized the right to remain silent. When Fuller was unable to remove his clients' cases to the common law courts, he still advised them to refuse the oath and remain silent. However, because Fuller's clients followed his counsel, the Star Chambers and the High Commission's priest judges jailed his clients for contempt. In response, Fuller often appealed to the judges of the common law court of the King's Bench for the great writ of habeas corpus. Quote, They, Fuller's clients, ought to be released, Fuller argued, because the High Commission has not been empowered by law to fine or imprison, neither to administer oaths. Fuller's argument before the common laws of King's Bench threatened the power of priestcraft. The priests, having neither authority over proceedings before the king's bench nor any part therein, struck back by summoning Fuller to appear before them to testify. Fuller, however, followed his own advice to his clients and refused the oath, whereupon the priests threw him in fleet prison under heavy fine. The justices of the king's bench, fearful of King James's displeasure, refused to act and thus failed their duty to use the common law to protect Fuller. Not only were the star chamber and high commission tribunals arrogant, but also vicious. If their priest judges felt a man's or woman's tone of voice lacked enough respect to satisfy their priestly sensibilities, they ordered such an one whipped. For light offenses, men and women were even hanged, branded on the cheek, or had their noses or ears loped off. Heavier offenses always meant death. It was a ghastly spectacle, says Coffin that the passengers across London Bridge beheld skeletons hanging in chains, swinging in the wind, those who passed beneath the temple gate saw rows of skulls grinning at them upon the parapet. Thus, at known personal peril, Barrister Fuller, by insisting upon the right to keep silent, resisted civil law's inquisitional devices. In the teeth of the High Commission, the common law courts, the Privy Council, and the King Fuller denied all royal claims to grant authority to the High Commission and its priestly inquisition over the mind of the individual, because they are contrary to the common law. Fuller protested to the priests of the High Commission, saying their procedure was popish, under jurisdiction not of Christ, but of Antichrist. Worsening the offense of this truth, he added that the bishops were embezzling the fines of the poor, nonconformist preachers, instead of paying them into the exchequer. Though others espoused common law ideals of individual rights in Parliament, Nicholas Fuller was the first of the barristers of the Reformation to give legs to those ideals and then to breathe life into them in the common law courts. Chapter 3.2. John Freeborn Lilburn Magna Carta versus Priestly Judges If John Lilburn were the last man in the world John would fight with Lilburn, and Lilburn with John. In the petition of right, the true meaning of Magna Carta had been laid bare. It is declared to be contrary to common law to force a man to answer questions concerning himself or for refusal to commit him to prison. John Freeborn Lilburn had held a captain's commission in Parliament's army against the Royalists. Captured in action, the Royalists tried him and sentenced him to death after which Parliament bluffed the Royalists into releasing him. Lilburn then became confident of Oliver Cromwell, returned to the front, and rose to a lieutenant colonel. But because Parliament, following its victory over the Crown, resorted to the civil law inquisitorial devices that Lilliburn had fought to end in England, Lilburn became disillusioned and vocal against Parliament. Thus, late in 1637, Parliament, on a technicality, issued a warrant for Lilburn's arrest. Accusing him of interfering with the prerogatives of Parliament. History is replete. Unchecked and limitless power in a popular legislative body such as Parliament will always become tyranny. Seldom born are men such as freeborn John. John Lilburn proved to be, by any standard, the most remarkable person connected with the history of the origins of the right against self incrimination. In extraordinary abundance, everything about him was extraordinary. Lilburn had incomparable ability to dramatize himself and his cause. From 1637, when he was but 23 years old, until his death 20 years later, he managed to keep his government in a hectic state, standing trial for his life four times. Yet he could easily have had positions of high preferment if he had thrown in his lot with Parliament or Cromwell. Instead, he sacrificed everything in order to be free to attack injustice from any source. He once accurately described himself as an honest, true-bred, free-born Englishman that never in his life loved a tyrant, nor feared an oppressor. In his own day, he was known as Freeborn John. He was obstreperous, fearless, indomitable, and cantankerous, one of the most flinty, contentious men who ever lived. In 1649, during his trial for high treason, Lilburn successfully argued to the jury that the jurors are judges of not only the facts, but also the law. When Lord Kebley interjected, stating that the jurors were not the judges of the law, Lilburn claimed principles of Anglo-Saxon justice, addressing the justices as no more than Norman intruders. After Parliament jailed Lilburn in Newgate, he wrote pamphlets showing how Fuller's argument and Koch's commentaries on Magna Carta and Koch's institutes had captured his thinking. Lilburn became a well-known jailhouse common lawyer called to the bar at Newgate Prison, where he now practiseth, he hath the book of statutes there lying open before him, which he reads and interprets to all the poor ignorant people that visit him. At length, Oliver Cromwell persuaded Parliament to free Lilburn, arguing that to jail an officer, Lilburn, for his opinion and point of conscience, discouraged the army, because the rights Lilburn insisted Parliament observe "'were those for which the parliamentary forces had risked their lives. "'It was for the liberty whereof,' wrote Cromwell, "'and to free themselves from the shackles in which the bishops would enslave them, "'that the army had been principally raised. "'Respecting the right to remain silent, Gibb identifies Puritans with common lawyers. "'Puritans and common lawyers had convinced themselves "'that, as a matter of conscience and fairness, "'an oath that compelled self-incrimination "'was both evil and violative of common law.' Nowadays, legislators, prosecutors, and courts declare acts crimes that, according to God's word, are not. In such cases, common law's right to remain silent, now Fifth Amendment enforced, heartens the accused to deny the prosecution one of two necessary witnesses needed to prove each relevant fact.